Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC prelims card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Cigar Page put together a great offering special for our readers. 60 G's, baby. The team at Bloody Elbow had some laughs thinking about those old school UFC fight bonuses and how far some of those early fighters have come. The 60 G's baby deal from Cigar Page is five 90 plus rated cigars and a travel humidor. This is a value of $90 that Cigar Page is offering Bloody Elbow readers for $25. While that cigar culture is alive and well in the MMA community, it may not be your thing, and it also makes an awesome gift for the holidays. You can grab this deal today at cigarpage.com slash 60gsbaby. That's cigarpage.com 60gsbaby. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Bib section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-hosts, as always, Connor Rebush, here once That's again to talk about... What? That's me. Yeah, I didn't want you to say it again. I don't <laughs> want anybody to know it's you. I was just going to talk right through it. That's what you usually do. Yep. We're here talking again about uh, UFC Fight Night Song versus Gutierrez going down at the Apex Center in Las Vegas, Nevada. A silent, uh, lower mid-tier UFC event that will probably have some cool stuff on it with in front of an audience of like five people. Yep. Sounds great. Yeah. He said lineup uh, actually not that bad for an Apex card because it wasn't intended to be an Apex card. So, hey, less to complain about than there normally is when we go to this goddamn location. Yeah, it's just also hard not to realize watching that uh, UFC card in Austin last week that like a totally middling fight between Joe Kim Silva and Clay Guida Mm -hmm. was made like 50 times by the the crowd just relentlessly chanting for clay guida in the middle of the fight yeah and then being mad at joachim silva for getting a decision in a fight that he very clearly won yeah <laughs> i could i could have done without that but yeah the energy was phenomenal. the energy is what you want and it just uh does not exist the apex center is sort of uh it's like that the energy vampire character from what we do in the shadows but as yeah. a building yeah. <laughs> it feeds on people's excitement and just sort of drains it all away. Uh, so hey. this card was pretty is pretty good. Yeah. This undercard it's got a couple highlights. It's not yeah. it's not nearly as interesting, but certainly benefits from uh, having the Steve Garcia Melchizedek Costa fight uh yeah, rebooked to it. Would have been nice if we could have gotten Daniel Marcos on this fight on this card like he was supposed to be. Uh, and oh, yeah. Uh, otherwise, we didn't actually really miss out on much. Everything else is just 
oh. a lot of what was supposed to be local a road to UFC tournaments mm-hmm. that the UFC has decided to postpone because they were all Asia adjacent fights and, and because they also sort of forgot they were happening. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love the UFC's treatment of its lesser properties. Mm-hmm. All right. Our featured prelim is a welterweight bout. Song Kinan against Kevin Juice. And uh, Juicy K, as we take it to call him. Yep. Yeah, and... and uh, I'm not certainly not calling him Air. No. Juice. Air Juice, terrible nickname. Air yes. Jordan, now that's a good French Air yeah. nickname. That's that's great. Yeah. Air Juice. Which really just shows the difference between French Canadians and <laughs> European French. So this is a having your nickname be Air for no reason. That's a very like European sensibility. Yeah. Right? Just sort of lame, awkward, you know, like you know it's not a joke because they don't understand sarcasm over there. They still think Jerry Lewis is like the funniest guy who's ever lived. A French Canadian nickname is a little bit of a joke, a little bit of a, you know, self-parody. We like that. They're practically Americans. Mm-hmm. They're, they're almost as good as us. Um. Anyway, you know, I like Juicy K. I I do too. He's he's we very I, I like him a lot because he gave us the great chance of gloating with his UFC debut yeah. against uh Crosby. Kiefer Kevin, Crosby, Kiefer where Crosby. we basically just got to be like, Well, you've got a low level uh city kickboxing prospect against a low level uh SBG Ireland prospect. I yeah. think I know which one to pick. And wouldn't you know it, he sort of won however he wanted. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he is a low-level city kickboxing fighter in that he has a lot of the moves, you know. Um, He is out there looking to be a slick counterpuncher, welcoming people into the clinch and doing good work there. But he has a certain um, Martin Campman-ness to him. Mm Mm-hmm where he's super upright and doesn't really get his head out of the way quickly enough. Um, he's not very quick in general. Um, kind of plotting, very upright. But hey, he's actually got some cool technical techniques. Uh, yeah. Cool counters and and some really slick clinch moves, a couple nice takedowns as well. He's like a pretty solid, well-rounded, striking-based fighter. You can see a lot of the influence that Adesanya has had on that camp. Yeah. In a lot of like the basic stuff that he tries to do. Yeah. So, um, we could beat Song Kanan. Uh, yeah, it's hard to tell, isn't it? Song Kanan <laughs> is always just kind of is like. He's a hard fighter to wrap your head around because. Yeah. A lot of what he does in the cage is really not much. Yeah. Very plotting, very low number of tools for a long time, pretty low pace. But then last fight he had, uh, well, no, I was going to say he he picked it up, but he didn't actually. He just beat (laughs) Rolando Bedoya by landing better shots. And that's how he wins when he wins. And often when he loses, he will still land one thunderous shot. He has a really hard left hook. 
Yeah. Uh, which he tends to find on pretty much everybody at least once. But uh, his game is just, I wouldn't even call it negative because it's not like he can stop people from doing stuff to him. No, <laughs> he's, no. He's, he's not, not a neutralizer. Good. No. He just doesn't do much. He's just a monolith. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. He just sort of stands there and he'll look to, you know, kick you to the legs and body now and then. He's just very one and done. You, you know what he is? What's that? He is a early level boss fight in a video game. Yeah. Where it's just it fall it's following the same pattern over and over again, and every time yeah. it hits you, it deals a ton of damage. But you're supposed to, it's supposed to be about like getting you used to the pattern recognition and controls of the game. That's right. Yeah, you fight you fight Song Kanan to figure out what the buttons do. Exactly. <laughs> it's a teachable a teaching moment to fight Song Kanan. Oh yeah, yeah, this is how I move left. All right, I get it. I get it. <laughs> uh, this is how I lock on. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Ooh, yeah. that hurt. Okay, okay, all right, but I got it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, the thing is, is that Juice is he's quite hittable. He is. He is stock and, stiff. And that is just not something that you can feel very a quality you can feel very confident about somebody having when uh, they're fighting Song Kanan. Yeah, he's gonna get absolutely fucking drilled at least once, and uh, could end the fight. Like I said, Song Kanan, hard hitter. He knocks a lot of people out with one shot. Knocks a lot of people down with one shot. Uh, but one shot is all he ever throws. Yeah. One at a time. And not many ones. Um, you know, I think this might be one where Song Kinnon gets it done, actually. Yeah. I think there's, there's, there's not a... It's hard because yeah. you look at the fighters that have beat Song Kinnon lately. Yeah. And they tend to share a couple of aspects that uh, Juice does not necessarily. We don't know actually, really, with Juice. Yeah. Uh, he's only had uh, eleven fights, and only a couple of them have been meaningful. Mm -hmm. And he even still lost a couple early in his career. But. Sankinan, the guys who beat Sankinan, they tend to be either able to just absolutely snipe him, which yep. he doesn't fight. He hasn't fought many of those people. I mean, really, you have Ian Gary, who still got really clipped by him. Yeah, and Brad Riddell, too. And, and Brad Riddell. And uh, Israel Adesanya, way back in the day. Oh, yeah. Uh, Wait, this will be his third city kickboxing opponent. Yeah. Or... Oh. They tend to be gritty, go anywhere, game plan, just yeah. kind of make a lot of stuff happen, guys. Max Griffin, Alex Morono. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the thing that makes this fight awkward is that the guys that Sankinan has beat then are almost all bad athletes and bad strikers. Yeah. They are guys with a low athletic ceiling who do not really have a fundamental striking game. 
to lean on. Like Rolando Bedoya is probably the best striker he's ever beat. Mm-hmm. And you could say maybe Bobby Nash is at least a dangerous striker, but doesn't have the durability. Yeah. And Nash was always kind of a wrestle boxer trying sure. to like, you know, be He's throw at least a, de- a decent athlete and a willing and aggressive striker. Yeah. But yeah, couldn't take the shot. But so Rolando Bedoya is kind of like the, the high point striking showcase for Song Kinan out there. Yep. And Kevin Jusay is a more technical striker than Rolando Bedoya. But yeah, I think he might be more hittable, though. He might be more hittable. Yeah, he's much more planted and more upright and he doesn't move his head. So you're taking something. I think I'm going to take Jusay. I think I'm going to. Yeah, it's a toss up. But something in my gut just says you just don't want to be. If yeah. you're going to be that hittable against Song Kanan, you better be super durable. I don't really know how durable Jusei is yet. Yeah, I'm just going to bank on the idea that he is. Sure, could and be. And we'll find out. You know? I would not I would not want to have to test my chin for the first time <laughs> against Song Kanan's left hook. Well, he lost to Jack Delamena by, Del Madalena by cut stoppage. So we yeah. know he's at That's least e- eaten shots against a, go- a good puncher. That's true. That's that's actually a good that's a good pull. He he did not get KO'd by Jack Della Maddalena. Yep. So maybe that means Jusse is the pick, but whatever. I'll stick with some. Yeah. It's it's a toss up to me. Mm-hmm. Odds are pretty much displaying that. Song Kinan opened at plus one forty five, is currently plus one thirty one. Jusse opened at minus one sixty two, is currently at minus one forty six. Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily know that I would run with every City kickboxing prospects in every fight. Honestly, they no. There are holes to that to that camp's games, and Jusei is you know I think they're probably pulling from pretty pulling from a pretty shallow tool, pool too way out in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, it was really more just an SBG rule than anything. Mm-hmm. All right, that brings us to a. Flyweight bout Hyunsung Park against Shannon Ross. And the oh boy Shannon Ross. The only question to ask, really, which is Is Hyunsung Park even in the neighborhood of being a UFC talent? Yeah. Because if he is. He's going to win. <laughs> He's probably going to win because, Shan, you cannot be a flyweight and just not take a punch at yeah. all. I mean, another question is, even if he's not overall in that neighborhood, does he hit hard? Not really, I don't yeah. think. Because that is Shannon Ross's, in addition to not being just in general a very good athlete, he certainly has the hustle and the grind in his game Yeah. to beat better athletes, provided they don't hit him hard in the face. Yeah, if you don't not knock have a chin. Shannon Ross out in round one, yep, there is a reasonable chance that he will hustle his way to a win over you. Yep. And so, yeah, Jensen Park is just kind of a blank slate. Like, he looks like an okay athlete just figuring out how to fight. Most yep. of what he did well in his debut was low kicks. Against Seung Guk Choi. 
and then he got a rear naked choke at one point. Mm-hmm. It's not like a recipe to beating Shannon Ross, really. No. But it might work. Yeah, I mean, the thing with guys like Shannon Ross is that um, you don't necessarily need an exact match for the recipe that has beaten him. Before. Yeah. No, it's what you true. need is requisite level of physicality. Uh, okay. One kind or another, you just have to be enough of an athletic cheater. And I, I suspect Hyun Sung Park is that level. Yeah, I think more than anything, there's room for Hyun Sung Park to improve. Yeah. And to show something new this time out. And he's been a finisher in almost all of his fights. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not against impressive competition, he's he's not going to decision. Mm-hmm. And Sh- there's no room for Shannon Ross to get better. Like, yeah, it was kind of weird when the UFC brought him in off of a knockout loss on Contender Series. Yeah, well, I think they just needed him, right? Like. Maybe. I think they said, like, oh, we're going to sign. They loved his underdog story. And so they were just like, we're going to sign him. Okay. Because, yeah, I mean, maybe they needed him, but it wasn't that much. Let me see. UFC 284. He's got a good name. He's got a good nickname. Shannon Ross's nickname is the Turkish Delight. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good nickname. (laughs) That's a strange one. So, Clayton Rodriguez, or Clayton Rodriguez was not... Uh, let's see. I guess there was a there was a bout against Cody Durden that he was supposed to get in October, but he withdrew from that, mm. and so he was not booked against anybody else for that fight against Shannon Ross. They brought Shannon Ross in just as a fresh, as a completely cold booking for Clayton Rodriguez. Yeah, it was just like a we we love his story kind of thing. And, like, good for him, I guess. He's getting better than regional paydays. And he gets a chance to be in the UFC. I hope he's using it to, like, brand his own gym where he's training people because he might be cut out to be a coach. Um, Not not every fighter is. Not every fighter is. But, like I say, I I hope he is because... I don't really know what he's doing here otherwise. Yeah, well, he's taken what is taking it, massive amounts of damage. Yeah, and three KO losses in a row. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, I'm just not going to pick him. No, I'm just not going to pick him either. Jun, uh, let's see. Hyunsung Park open, is currently opened at 485, and he's currently down at minus 562. Ross opened at plus 385. He's currently up at plus 435. All right. That brings us to... Oh, damn it. That brings us to Steve Garcia versus Melchizedek Costa. Which we've already talked about because it was supposed to happen last week. Yep. 
this one, I think uh, we pretty much agreed across the board on this one. You know, mm-hmm. other than the fact that you you were more to mess into the mention of Steve Garcia's name than me. It's it's true. I'm a Steve Garcia fan. Just got jazzed the moment you saw him. Yeah. Uh, but we've both been really quite impressed with Melchizedek Costa. He's, you know, you could you could accuse him of being somewhat aimless. Yeah. Uh, every he's fight he's sort of. I think he's a, bit, a little bit of just take whatever opportunity he sees at the time without a strategy. Pretty much. Every fight he seems to kind of come in and figure out as he goes. But contained in that process is a really steady output of good, attritive weapons. Yep. He is not picky about the targets he hits, goes to the legs, goes to the body, tests your takedown defense, um, moves around pretty well, uh, seems to understand his distance really well. He's just a solid fighter who is uh, a pretty solid athlete as well. And, uh, yeah, if he, if he, God save Steve Garcia, if Melchizedek Acosta realizes he can take him down at will. Cause that'd be the easy way. <laughs> yeah. That'd be the easy way to beat him. But I, I would take him, I think, even in a tougher fight. Cause he just looks in a, a, a war because he just is really durable and, and has a lot of variety to his striking. And, he works the body, he works the legs. You know? Mm-hmm. Well-rounded fighter. Yeah, I mean, the big thing, I think, with uh, Costa is just that he puts out so much offense at a, di- at a distance. Yeah. That for Garcia, who always wants to be swarming into the pocket, there's just always going to be a first strike that Garcia is meeting yeah. on his way in. Mm-hmm. And when that ha- tends to be the case for Garcia, uh, he tends to have a lot of trouble. You know, Hayashate knocking him out with the counter as he came in, or even like that Charlie Onaveros fight. Mm-hmm. You know, we kind of remember that is one of Charlie Onaveros' several violent losses. But Ontiveros was kind of lighting Garcia up for the yeah. the opening minute of that fight. Yep. And yeah, I just think it's going to be it's going to be too big a problem for for Garcia that with that much output and the durability that Costa has shown for Garcia to need to wade in like that all the time. Garcia is just so wild and he does not turn down a single exchange yeah. <laughs> when it is offered to him. He's just, there's just a lot of ways you can exploit the sort of intensity with which he is trying to take your head off at all times. Yep. Odds on the fight. Garcia opened at plus 233. He's currently at plus 229. Costa opened at minus 181, currently minus 152. Wait, no, I read the wrong lines. That does not help. God damn it. Garcia opened at plus 233, currently at plus 229. Okay. And Costa opened at minus 272, currently at minus 266. So pretty pretty heavy favorite for Costa. All right. That brings us to Stephanie Egger versus Luana Santos. And um, this is kind of a weird move for Luana Santos. Mm-hmm. 
I I I feel like it's probably just because she wants to stay active. Uh, she did not strike me in her fight with Juliana Miller as somebody who was particularly oversized for her division. Mm-hmm. I have to just think she's just feeling like, okay, well, there's you know there are only so many opportunities at women's but flyweight or flyweight. There are also going to be some opportunities at bantamweight. I'll just take whatever fights I can between the two. Sure. She's only a, she's the same height as Edgar. Her inch, her reach is only an inch shorter. Okay. But I mean, Edgar's not a small bantamweight. I mean, yeah, they're both five six listed at. Edgar feels like she's bigger than that to me, but she's very solid. Yeah. Luana Santos definitely reads as much willowier of yeah. the two of them. Yeah. And that seems like it's probably a problem. Edgar is stand up is terrible. Yep. So if Luana Santos goes after her the same way she went after Juliana Pena Miller or Juliana Miller, rather, mm-hmm. the opportunity to hurt her is going to be right there. Yep. But Edgar's also never been knocked out. It's true. Um, she has that. She has a little bit of that Carolina Kovalkiewicz quality, like in early in Carolina's career, where she would get in some fights where she's such a one-handed striker. Yeah, she's really stiff. I mean, it's just very clearly not her comfort zone. But uh, or like a little Anthony Smithness, like you could just hit her a ton, and she will keep scrapping mm-hmm. the entire time. I mean, she is a really tough fighter no question yeah yeah the the biggest fault for her really just kind of seems to be her judo based grappling which puts her in a lot of all or nothing grappling yeah. battles where yeah she's either got the submission and she's winning or she has given up a bad position and she's losing yeah and also sometimes particularly against strikers who are pressuring her she just doesn't yeah. really go to it yeah it's like the either the clinch comes to her and then she has an idea, or it's an it's a non-factor. It's been a better look for her in her past couple fights. Yeah, both against Alexiva and Perez, especially Perez, where she just latched onto her really quickly. Mm-hmm. Alexiva, she did she did uh, Alexiva, I think actually did bring the clinch to her, but Egger rolled through and hip tossed her down, but mm-hmm. then got her leg wrapped up. Tough to, it's tough to pick this. I don't know. I, I'm going to go with Edgar just because I don't necessarily like this. I, I don't think that Luana Santos is that cautious a fighter. So I think she's just going to go out there and get into a scrap and get into a position where she can be potentially submitted. Maybe she's a good enough grappler that uh, she can turn that around on Edgar the way other people have, but I just don't like that Santos, she looked like a flyweight, and now she's up at Bantamweight, and I don't trust it. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, like, there is a certain appeal to Santos as just being a willing... Unchecked aggression... Yeah, just being yeah. a willing, aggressive striker. There is. Um, but Edgar just does not like that. And she hasn't no. had to deal with it very often, which is, I think, also part of the reason she's um, she's done okay in the UFC. Like, there's just not a lot of 
uh, confident, reasonably powerful strikers trying to back her into the fence and hit her. But yeah, I think I'll take it. I think I'll take Edgar as well because it's Santos's first fight up a division. Edgar is big and strong, uh, much more solidly built than Santos. And I just don't think that. I mean, Santos couldn't stay out of the clinch with Juliana Miller. No. She was flying in every time she, whether she hit her or missed, chest to chest, and they would tie up. And Edgar may not have a good way of enforcing her grappling and, and uh, wrestling games on people, but when it is thrown into her lap, she will throw you onto the ground. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm gonna. I'll take Edgar as well. Yeah, Santos did, did has competed at bantamweight early in her career, but like. Like just against the lowest, lowest end of competition. She so. just doesn't look very strong. No, she? she doesn't look strong. It, it, flyweight feels like a great fit. She looked, yeah, you know, she looked the same size as Juliana Miller out there, and that's a solid flyweight size. Yeah, I mean, it's her first knockout win. Like I said, Edgar may not like being uh, pressured and and somebody just throwing punches with reckless abandon at her, but she's not fragile. No, which, that's why I'm just not banking on that. Yeah. Miller is uniquely yeah, offensively incapable. She's just a mess overall, yeah. really, and, and does not have anything like the uh, athletic ability to make up for all of her technical failings. Yeah. Uh, odds on the bout. Edgar is a very slight underdog. Open at plus 161 is down, down to plus 137. Santos opened at minus 181. is currently minus 152. It should just be dead even, honestly. Yeah. Like, Edgar is going to get tagged up standing, and she might turn this around into a submission, or she might just get, keep getting tagged up, you know? Yeah. All right. That brings us to a flyweight bout, which we've also already talked about before, but it's been a while. I don't even remember oh, that. No, we did we? About. I, yeah. No, did I guess we? we didn't. It's just other Mexican flyweights <laughs> and me being... Uh, Racist. Yeah, terribly. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's going to be real bad if, well, yeah, if they're not even Mexican but Ooh, you better hope Mexican. Yeah. I mean, American flag. Are we Mexican American? Carlos Hernandez. Yeah, possibly. Wait, anyway, no, I'm disgusted one way or the other by your yeah. conduct here. Anyway, I thought we'd already talked about this fight. I guess we haven't. Um, good for Looks... the UFC, for, I guess, for like soft playing Tatsura Tyra. I mean, I think it. it's it's pretty clear he needs it. That's what I was going to yeah. say. You know, like, um, you call this a soft play because it's not like, oh, this guy's a Japanese talent uh, who's clearly a good prospect. Let's throw him up the ladder. Yeah. It is not a soft touch in the sense that it's impossible for him to lose it. Oh, no, no, not, not at all. Because uh, sort of increasingly, as we go further into his UFC career, we are seeing what makes Tatsura Tyra such a great prospect in every single fight. We're seeing just incredible uh, grappling, to be honest. Like, yeah. 
so far he just looks impossible to outgrapple. Mm-hmm. Even when people get good positions on him, he's a really methodical, patient scrambler. Um, and when he gets to a good position, it is just miserable, very difficult to escape, and he tends to work towards a submission. Um, but we have also seen increasingly in those fights the fact that for as long as he is not taking his opponent down, he's kind of having a bad time. Yeah, his striking <laughs> when he was on the regionals was very much a sort of wait and land a slick one-two when the opportunity presented itself. Yeah. But it was very much what we see out of a lot of I mean, that one of the things that's been a, a big hallmark of why Japanese MMA has stopped translating, <clears throat> excuse me, has stopped translating over to uh, international MMA that well in the last 20 years <clears throat> is a inability to really to, to keep up with the pace of modern mm-hmm. MMA. Got a little little pride never die frog in your throat there. Yeah, I do. Just thinking about the decline of That's Japanese right. MMA and getting choked up. But um, yeah, there's just an in, there's an inability to keep pace with the modern MMA meta and to keep pace with the output of modern MMA. A to lot of Japanese keep fighters, <laughs> yeah, a lot of Japanese fighters come out, they get to the UFC and they have these very one and done, very cautious, very, uh, you know low output approaches to the standup mm-hmm. with the idea that their opponent like them coming, you know, fighting in the Japanese scene is also playing a similar game. Mm-hmm. And that's just not how it is in the UFC. And it's especially not how it is at flyweight. And even, I think Tyra's problems even go beyond pace. Yeah. He's just not defensively a good striker. Um, you know, I I think he's he probably was. I mean, he's a he's a pretty sizable flyweight. I think he was probably insulated by his reach somewhat. Yeah. Um, you know, like it's not like Edgar Chires put a big pace on him on the feet. No, it it's just the idea that like he just hit him in one exchanges. Yeah. Anytime they traded, he just landed, or even when they weren't trading, he would just sort of get into range, throw one two or a hard jab, and it would just land. Tyra just couldn't stop it. He doesn't he doesn't parry very well. Most of his defense seems to be predicated on the idea of moving his feet and not being in range at all. Yeah, I mean, he, he Tyra does have a 70-inch reach, which is huge at flyweight. Yeah. Chires is probably the only person he's ever fought in his life who had a longer reach than him at 72 yep. inches. And that I'm sure that is why he looked so uncomfortable on the feet there. And, and certainly Carlos Hernandez does not have that build. Yeah. But Carlos Hernandez is a pretty solid striker. He is. You know, he has a jab. He moves his head. He counters. He puts combinations together. He's got solid footwork. He's, he's actually quite difficult to get into the right range to hit an easy takedown on him. Mm-hmm. I don't have a super good read on how... Uh, strong his overall wrestling is but as a positional striker not easy to get to wrestling to good wrestling positions on him yeah i think that it was it's really uh especially as an upper body wrestling approach which is what dennis bondar tried to get him with his, his clinch looked really solid there yeah 
Yeah, had a really he he did not waste time looking to pummel. Um, found strikes on the brakes. Uh, got himself off the cage. There was one shot from Dennis Bondar which did get him down, but only to a position where he could grab a wizard and stand up. Mm-hmm. That's the only like actual shot takedown I recall from that fight. You know, Tyra can do more things with that than Dennis Bondar if he gets that kind of shot off, and he can hit a fantastic reactive shot. Yeah. <sighs> the fact is that like once Tyra gets to the ground. It is usually just misery for his opponent. Yeah. But, you know, like I said, this is one where he could definitely lose. And Hernandez is not uh, a rube. Like, he's not just going to get hit with the same shot over and over. Uh-uh. He might be able to survive around on the ground. And then Tyra tries the same setup again. And he hits a really nice sprawl. And it's just not there. And then he goes back to this nice, measured, but, but steady output. Mm-hmm. Using his jab. And I don't know. I'm going to take Tyra. I think yeah, I'll take Tyra, too. To. I mean, you but, have to look at that Nascimento fight where yeah, yeah. Nascimento didn't even necessarily have to get uh, Hernandez down all that well. Yeah. He just got in on a body lock and yep. got to the rear waist cinch and then started dragging uh, Hernandez to the mat from that. Yep. Lord and knows that Tyra just, is a fantastic back taker. Yeah. That just feels like it's just going to be too available because the other thing for Hernandez is that he is no kind of hard puncher. No, no, no. He's a hustler. He's a hustler. And so Tyra, even if he's not having a fun time, like Chirez is a, you know, not only does he have a longer reach, but he's a pretty solid puncher. Yeah, by flyweight standards, not a big knockout artist even still, but he's a sharp puncher. Yeah. He's a sharp puncher. He, he could really make Tyra uncomfortable in a way that I think Tyra will find a, this to be a lot more like you know his Carlos Candelario fight or the CJ Vergara fight where somebody can put some hands on him and make the fight a little messy every now and then. Yep but he will be able to fight through it and get to the positions he needs. Boy, uh, I was just reminded, by the way, and Carlos Hernandez's fight with Dennis Bondar. Yeah. Uh, Kerry Hatley got a bunch of hate. Kind of forgot. That was a pretty bad late stoppage, too. Yeah. Knocked Bondar out with a slam and then got six elbows off while he was unconscious before the ref stepped in. <sighs> pretty bad. Yep. Anyway, though, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm taking Tyra, but it, it, it's a bit of a cop-out because... Tyra hasn't looked good lately. He hasn't. And people just keep kind of having more and more chances. They're figuring him out. And his game is not really advancing. And Hernandez is just an all-around really solid fighter. Yep. Who is, a, if not a super dangerous striker, a very comfortable and um, pretty methodical one. So uh, someday soon, somebody's going to go out there and just Tyra's not going to get to good grappling positions against him. And he's simply going to lose on the feet. Yep. And if Hernandez can keep him out of those grappling positions, I think he will absolutely beat him on the feet. Yeah. Tyra opened at minus 435. He's currently down at minus 532. Hernandez opened at plus 305. He's currently at plus 415. Yeah, at some point, Tyra's just going to – he's going to be a big loser in some fight where he's really favored to win. Yep. 
All right, that brings us to our final fight of the card. R- uh, Rayan Dosa. Is it Heyan? Do you think? Oh, I hope not. I hope not, too. For my sanity, let's stick with Rayan. Rayan Dos Santos against Talita Alencar. And uh, solid scrap, both two decent uh, strawweight prospects, it feels like. Um, In Rayan's case, somebody who is getting to the UFC after lots and lots of tough uh, competition on the regionals and some up and down times in her career. Mm-hmm. And for Alan Carr, you know, you've got a grappling ace making the late career jump, basically. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, at least judging by their recent fights, Rayanne's path looks a lot more like a fighter ready to make an impact in the UFC right now than Alan Carr's. Yeah. Alan Carr looks like she is dealing with the, all the standard jujitsu problems that jujitsu grapplers who change over to MMA hit. Yeah. Which is that you have to work a lot faster in the, in MMA than you do in jujitsu. And that, you cannot give up uh, offensive grappling positions with the uh, idea that you are going to, you can't give up dominant position with the idea that you can work out of what in MMA is a defensive position. Yeah. And make it happen, you know? Yep. And Alan Carr in her fight against Stephanie Luciano, it was just apparent like she didn't have an easy path to take Luciano down. Mm -hmm. And when she didn't have an easy path to take Luciano down every time, she started getting tired. Yep. And she doesn't have a lot of striking that she can lean on and feel comfortable with standing. Nope. No surprise. She's uncomfortable and it makes her gas. Yep. So pretty typical for yeah. the grappling transplants. So for Rayanne Dos Santos, like, you know, she fought her way all the way to an Invicta title over the years. And the last person to beat her, Denise Gomes, uh, has been showing up really pretty good in the UFC. Mm-hmm. Better than I would have guessed from yeah. her her performances you know, coming up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just kind of have to go with Ran uh, Dos Santos here. She seems like she's getting to putting together a decent pressure game. She's landing really clean shots, and she seems like she can just kind of fundamentally stick with that aspect of her game without pulling herself into anything too wild. She simply has a a feel for. Uh, a feel for distance and timing on the feet. Yeah. It gives her a kind of comfort and flexibility that Talita Alinsar does not have. And yeah, um, she's fought like uh, Dos Santos has fought a lot of scrubs. Sure. Over the course of her career. She's got, yep. there's a lot of O and O. There's records. a lot of record padding on there, but she's also fought a lot of 
fighters who were right around her level of experience didn't always beat those more experienced fighters. But what you see in her fights now is that the experience still pays off. Yeah. She looks comfortable. And um, I just think Alan is going to have a really miserable time consistent, trying to consistently take her down or even get into uh, positions to take her down. DeSantis is just going to move around and she's going to look to counter her. And yep. Yeah, Alan Sarr's game just looks um, half-baked still. Yep. Uh, let's see. Dos Santos opened at minus 123, currently at minus 158. Alan Sarr opened at plus 112, currently up at plus 142. That makes sense to me, honestly. Yep. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap it up. And for those of you subscribing to our sun, uh, Substack, we will have some subscribers only subscribers content for you only. in just a moment. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey, Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows, the sixth round post fight show, the Show Money podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us. <laughs>